glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me if you would please as we give respect to the reading of the Bible here before the message, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Thank you. you. may be seated. As I said, I think there's a number of things addressed in this text, including, not exclusively to this point, but including where the believer in Jesus Christ has got to position himself in a world that is increasingly becoming favorable toward a lifestyle that is abominable to God. I'm going to help you with something this morning if I can. How do we get to the point where we have a nation where the nation's uh, largest corporations, where the nation's most powerful leaders, including the Supreme Court of the United States, including our president, uh, legislators, and now you have men who claim to be preachers and pastors who are, are beginning to go down the same slippery slope of advocating that sodomy, lesbianism, homosexuality, all these things, whatever terms you want. I prefer the word sodomy because that's what the Bible calls it. It is related to the city of Sodom, and it's good to be reminded that is the judgment that God poured on that city uh, for the sins that were there and so forth. But how have we gotten to where this has become an acceptable lifestyle in our culture in and among leaders to not only being acceptable but now being promoted to the point that what I'm preaching this morning being considered by many as hate speech. How did we get here? Now, I believe this, and I would encourage anyone, if you can disprove what I'm about to say, I would love to hear it. I believe it started back here. Let's go back to, say, the 1950s, okay? Do a little history lesson. And in the 1950s, what did we start softening our position toward when it comes to the morality or immorality of man as a culture? What do we start saying, oh, it's kind of cute? Through our entertainment, I'd say then it was the sin of fornication. And I'm not saying man has not always had a problem. I'm talking about in this country, this nation, and, and what we became, we began to say, well, people will be people. And what's happened is when we make concession and say, yes, God's word says, but, where does that end? 
When we say, well, no, two people should not live together, but. I understand you ought to be married, but. How, how do we not see that that, if you put the okay on that sin, and then we become an, a, a drunken nation, no doubt, a drug-addicted nation, no doubt, and all of that because we've rejected the truth of God. I'm just trying to say, friend, we didn't get here overnight. We did not get overnight to where that crowd is in your face saying you accept and affirm what we do or we'll destroy you. And that is where we are. You Make no bones about it. That's where we are. There is an active and aggressive movement. And may I say this? We do not fight spiritual war with fleshly mechanism. So I do not believe that the answer is to get all stirred up and angry and, and well, that's fine. We'll repay evil with evil. No, no, no. But by the same token, we don't budge our, move our ground on what's true and what's right. And this morning, the things that are this month being called uh, gay pride, a, a, a group of people in our nation flaunting their sin, taking pride in it, and much of the nation helping to celebrate what God abhors, it's key and needful for, if nothing else, this preacher and others across the land to stand and say what's being said and say, it's still an abomination to God. And so with that subject in mind, my mind came this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because I've known people and met people that like to try to say that sin was a sin that's condemned by the law, but we're not under the law anymore. That is the favorite retort of anybody who wants to defend sin is while that was in Leviticus 18. Well, it's also in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 and a host of other places where this is a sin against nature's law, not against Levitical law, it's a sin against moral law, uh, the, the sin that we're speaking of in regards to the pride month. But as we focus on this text, what I want to do is say, really, in my mind, uh, I think the Lord used where we're at this month to bring this text to my mind this morning. I think there's more reasons he's brought us here today. Uh, but I want to go back all the way to verse 1, because here's what's taking place. In 1 Corinthians, you have a Corinthian church. I said in Sunday school, if we think that what we're dealing with in the United States of America in 21st century America, if we think this is unique to us, study the book of Corinthians. We are warned in Romans chapter 12 to the individual, but it's a warning to the church as well, uh, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. In Sunday school, we dealt with the fact that a church is built upon who Jesus Christ is. A church is not built upon what the culture is or what the culture wants. A New Testament church is built on who Jesus Christ is. So it's needful, and I just give us a charge this morning, especially to those of you who are part of Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, it is needful for a church not to move with the whims, wishes, and the the, the changes of the culture. We are founded and established on who Jesus Christ is. And so the church of Corinth was the same, but what you had going on at the church of Corinth is they had become, they had become affected by the world they were in. Paul called them in chapters 1, 2, and 3. He said, you're carnal. I've got things I need to say to you, but you're babes. You can't take them as of now. And so you've become carnal, meaning you're thinking only from the mere standpoint of of earthly value. How, how will this affect the things I feel, see, and experience in this life? That's carnality. When we make our decisions based on how it affects our life here, not based on eternal things. And so, as such, it's very clear the Corinthian church had become very influenced by its culture. Chapter 5 is all about a man 
who was a member of that church, a man called a brother who was living in a in gross immorality, and Paul had to deal with that and say, you're not dealing with him correctly. You know what they were doing? They had a man that was living with his mother's, his, his father's wife, his stepmother, as though it was his own wife, living in fornication. Paul said, the Gentiles don't even do that. The lost Gentiles. And he said, you've got to deal with this. You know what the Corinthian church was doing? They were boasting. We are so open here that a man can live in gross immorality and feel welcome. Does that sound familiar? The word we use today is inclusivism. Trying to find a place for uh, my wife and I to stay here recently. And I went through a, a booking website that's quite common. But they make you check that you agree with their um, anti-discrimination policy before they let you rent from them. You'll just have to guess, I didn't rent from them. <laughs> because their anti-discrimination policy was terrible about inclusivism and tolerance and getting along and okay with all sorts of lifestyles. And so you say, what's this have to do? It has everything to do with this. Are we going to adapt as a church, as an individual Christian? Are we going to adapt to the culture? Or are we going to stay and continue to adapt to Christ? So as you come into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what you find is a church that had more respect for the unbelieving, unregenerate world than they did for their own local church. They had more respect for the opinion of a a civil court than they did for the ability of the church that God had established and founded. And I did not intend this this morning, believe it's of the Lord. We see, uh, and I say intend, this was not all week, this was not my plan, it's where I was going to preach this morning, but when you couple with what we saw in Sunday school with what we're looking at this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you'll find that the, the world is putting the pressure on churches to not conform to Christ, but to conform to it. So as we come into chapter 6, what we read about and have read about here is a church that when they had internal problems, we're going to start, if you're keeping notes, with a disturbing, some disturbing trouble in this church, verses 1 through 8. There was some disturbing trouble, member with member having conflict with each other. So you had a believer in Jesus Christ having conflict with another believer in Jesus Christ, we're not talking about, as we said, and we, I mentioned this briefly in Sunday school, this is not people who are, are, are criminally uh, harming one another. These are offenses between each other. And instead of following the instruction of Matthew chapter 18 and following the protocol our Lord and Savior stepped out, they're taking each other to a court of unbelievers, telling us they had more confidence in the unbelieving world than they did in the believers in the local church and the local church institution and so this, this, this chapter starts, and it's needful to get the first eight verses to put verses 9 through 11 in their context. Paul states what he does, saying, look, you're going to people that don't you know they're not, they are not inheriting the kingdom of God. Why would you trust them to resolve your problems? I mean, I put this in the context this morning. I know people that will far more quickly go to a secular, they'll claim to be a Christian, They'll claim to know the Lord and they'll go to an unbelieving counselor or an unbelieving court to resolve a problem rather than work it out through the mechanism God gave through the local New Testament church. They would far sooner read a secular book written by someone who doesn't know God, someone that's not on their way to heaven, someone who does not have the Holy Spirit, than they would consult the Bible. You with me this morning? Just as there was a disturbing trouble in the Corinthian church, there is some disturbing trouble in general among the, what I see among Christians in our day, 
is a, a, a lessened confidence in the local New Testament church and a greater confidence in an unbelieving world. How many of us know that today there are people who believe the greater hope for America is the United States political system and civil government transformation than local churches having revival and being what we're supposed to be? Now, I don't start my day trying to save my nation, but I do love my country And I think one of the better things I can do for my country is live for God like I'm supposed to, get my thinking right, and put confidence where God puts confidence. We found this morning in Sunday school, when the Lord Jesus left this earth, He did not establish a political party. He established a local New Testament church. That was good enough. I'm going to say it again. When the Lord Jesus left this earth to get a work done on this earth, He did not establish a political party. He did not start a political uprising. He established a local New Testament church in Jerusalem and they turned the world upside down. And the reason they did is that church loved Him more than they loved themselves. And they loved Him more than they loved life. And they loved Him and they loved the the, the gospel more than anything else. They believed in their Savior. And this morning we look at the Corinthian church and Any church that is founded and operating in the United States of America should be familiar with the book of Corinthians. We live in a modern-day Corinth. Corinth was wealthy. It was well-to-do. It was commerce and and merchandise and uh, uh, a licentious lifestyle was promoted there. And you see the impact and influence it had on the Corinthian church. And may I say this is applicable to each one of us this morning. We need to look and say, "Do do I think this way? So as we look at the Corinthian church, their disturbing trouble is there was conflict. Now may I say this, people will have conflict. How many know that Jesus knew before he established the church that people would have conflict inside the church? That's why one of the first things he did was provided for when two of you aren't agreeing with each other, this is what you do. He said, I'm going to equip you to deal with this inside the church. I'm 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 going to equip you to do this. And so what he was saying is, I'm putting confidence in the institution I'm creating. I'm going to equip it to deal with these things. And again, I am not referencing someone committing a criminal act that is supposed to be the civil government exercises wrath on evildoers. The context of 1 Corinthians 6 was not this guy was, did not murder somebody's kid. They had a conflict with each other. They were, uh, they were having a disagreement. Dare any of you, he said, having a matter against another go to law before the who? The unjust. He said, there are people that are, they're unjust. They don't know God. They are unsaved uh, and, and not before the saints. So we understand they're going to law with one another. And that's not my message this morning. But, but to use this to see the church at Corinth, again, had greater confidence. I've been saying they had greater confidence in the world than they did the local church. But the truth is, they had greater confidence in the world than they did who? The Lord. Because the Lord said, when this happens... Here's how you deal with it. Did they follow the Lord's instructions? Now, this is one issue, just one issue. We're using this today as a, an example, or perhaps this chapter would serve as a microcosm. How many issues today has our Lord and Savior, the chief cornerstone and head of the church, given us explicit instructions how to handle issues in our life? How many of you believe that how you deal with a fault with a brother is going to determine whether or not you go to heaven? That's not what the Bible said. 
These are people that Jesus had already saved. He's speaking to his disciples, people that are made righteous through faith in him. But he says, when you have aught with each other, when you have a disagreement with one another, this is the way I want you to handle it. Their authority had spoken plainly. And how many times does our Bible and our Lord and Savior through the pages of Scripture give us explicit instruction how to handle issues in our life and we follow the world's pattern rather than his precepts? This is where the preaching is at this morning. How many times do we say, well, may I ask something, in the world, outside of the church at Corinth, when two people had aught with each other, where did they go and what did they do? Small claims court. See what the believers were doing? What the unbelievers were doing. When unbelievers have a problem, they go to small claims court. You say, you think it's a sin to go to small claims court? With a brother it is. Absolutely. Why? Because it's direct disobedience to Christ. Absolutely. And so then, the fact of the matter is, what we see in a specific example is what... You may say, I'm off the hook this morning. I'm not in small claims court with any believer. Yeah, but is there any other issue of life where our master has explicitly outlined instruction for how we should conduct ourselves as his children that we're saying, you know, I like the world's pattern better. This is how they handle their finance. This is how they handle their moral issues. I know many of a child of God today... Who, whose children or grandchildren are living in a fornicating relationship and claiming to be believers, and those children are more than welcome to have fellowship and communion. Let's just love them. Friend, our Bible said that's not love. We're not to do that because that's going to encourage that in their lives. And so, but that, but we follow the pattern of the world. The world says, you, you know, they got their sin, I got mine. I'll look the other way at your sin if you look the other way from mine. And the Lord says, that's not the way I want you to do it. And so what we find is there's some disturbing trouble here that you have conflict between God's people. The course of action they followed was not in compliance or in alignment with the instruction of the Savior. It was in alignment with the example of the culture. It's no wonder Paul's going to say what he does in verses 9 through 11. In this area, as well as a host of others, the Corinthians were getting their cues on how to live their lives from their culture and not from their Savior. Romans 12, 1 and 2, again, let me just quote that, and then we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8. How many of us understand what the concept of conformity is? You know what conformity is? When I adapt to a mold, then I'm a, I, it's, it's a level of conformity. And so the best illustration I can think of this morning is if you're going to, if you're going to, um, we're going to make some, we're going to make some muzzleloader balls to go hunting this December. That's, I'm going to talk my own language here, okay? So I got me some lead, and I'm going to melt that down, and I'm going to get me a form. Now, I, if I'm going to be shooting a 50 caliber Thompson Center muzzleloader, George, what size of form do I need? It's rocket science. I need a 50 caliber form. So I say, George, you have any forms so I can pour me some muzzleloader balls? He said, sure. I got a 45 and a 54. Which one do you want? I said, it doesn't matter either one. It's good. I'll either stuff it with something around it or I'll cram it. No, no. You got to conform to the right mold. The right image. You know, all of us are conforming our lives to an image that we think is acceptable and appropriate. All of us are. We are either conforming to the image that the world puts before us. The image the world puts before us is wealth is king. Wealth will give you happiness and security. And so pursue that and then you'll look good and people think good of you. And we're going to conform to that. They have a form of love. They have a form of what they call grace. All of that, or we can conform to God's image. Now, Romans 8, let me just give you that first. Verse 28, we love verse 28, so we should, 
And we know that all things work together for good to them uh, that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. Meaning, who are we supposed to be coming more like every day? Christ. Then Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto your God, unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. You know what he's saying? You are already like the world. You are already like the world, so you need to be transformed. You need to be broken down and formed again. You were like the world when God saved you. You were deceitful, you were proud, you were envious, you were covetous, and it expressed itself in your language, in your appearance, in your conduct, in what you enjoyed, in what you hated. Now you've been saved, so be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're not here this morning to prove what model works for growing a church the fastest. We're here this morning to prove what is acceptable to God. We're not here to prove what will make me happy. We're here to prove what will make God happy. Amen? That's the goal of a true believer, what makes God happy. I lived for my own happiness before I got saved. So did you. But friend, God saved us from that so that we can live for Him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, let's turn there if you would. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 dealing with this concept of conformity again. This has everything to do with what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Help me this morning. We'll just do a little test. When the Corinthians were taking one another to law, small claims court if you would, brother against brother, two believers, members of the same church, had the Lord Jesus given explicit instruction how to handle such an issue. Deal with it one-on-one. Deal with it one to two to three-on-one. And then if that doesn't work, deal with it before the court. No, the church, Right? And if they won't deal with it before the church, then treat them like they're not a brother. Then you've got to deal with them. Okay, they wouldn't respond to the church. Perhaps they're actually a false brother. They're not the real thing. Then you treat them like a heathen or a publican. But don't you treat them like a heathen and a publican as long as they're a brother. And as long as, you can, as, as, long as they're in, in the church as a brother. No, so he had, he had given explicit instruction. So let's go step number two, question number two. Was the Corinthian church dealing with it the way Jesus said? No, they were not. So had he given specific instruction? Yes. Were they following that specific instruction? No. Were they conforming to another pattern? Yes. Now plug that into your own life if with the Lord's help. Not through human reasoning, but perhaps the Holy Spirit is saying, here's an area in your life you're doing that. I've given you specific instruction. You know my specific instruction. And yet you're doing what the lost world does, not what I said with me this morning when we say as believers i'm going to quit doing it the way they do it and i'm going to do what he wants we call that revival (laughs) really we do first first peter chapter 1 verse 13 wherefore gird up the loins of your what are we dealing with here again just like romans 12 mind wherefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of jesus christ as obedient children, right? So you're children of God, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Don't build your life according to your former lust when you didn't know the truth about the Lord and about eternity and about righteousness 
Don't live according to the former lust. But, verse 15, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Help me here this morning, folks. Do you not daily feel a pressure to make the world happy with you by being like them? It's on all of us. I want them not to think, here's the word, many love this today, well, we shouldn't be weird. Look, I look at the world and I think, if that ain't weird, I don't know what is. But anyway, (laughs) anyway, I digress. It's not about being weird. May I say, our lives is not about what they think of us. It's about what he thinks of us. Do you realize what the Lord is saying over and over in Romans 12? In 1 Corinthians 6, we find they were not conformed to the Lord's word. They were conformed to the way of the world in the way they were living, the way they were dealing with one another in their interpersonal relationships. They were not following the instruction of Scripture. And Paul comes along and he says, Hey, what you're doing is not right. So we see their conflict, the course of action they took, was conformity to the world rather than conformity to Christ. By the way, did the Lord Jesus show the disciples how this was done? What greater offense than Peter telling Jesus, saying about Jesus, number one, Jesus telling him, you're going to deny me, and Peter says, no, I won't. Now, he's the master. Peter had said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, but you're wrong. Well, I wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, we would, and we have. Our actions always speak louder than our words. Peter had been told, you're going to do this. It's not me. Jesus said, watch and pray, and Peter Went to sleep. The Lord had had given some clear instructions and he said, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, not I. And then three times he did. He cursed and he swore and did everything he could to conform to the world instead of his Lord. Jesus said, pray. He slept. Jesus said, you'll deny me? No, I won't. Then he did. He denied three times. He said, I don't even know the man. He lied three times. Now, how did Jesus deal with that? Well, of course, he went to a Roman court and said, I got a traitor on my hands. How did he deal with Peter? Peter, come and dine. He followed his own counsel, is what I'm trying to say. When Peter had a problem with Thomas, or Jesus had a problem with Thomas, so on and so forth, my point is this. Christ began both to do and to teach. He is a doer of his own teachings. And so here we can literally and truly say the Corinthian church was not conformed to Christ. They were conformed to the world. The, that's, that's where verses 9 through 11 is going to come from back here in 1 Corinthians 6. We see their conflict reveals in them uh, their, their conformity to the world. And then Paul renders some correction to them. And the Apostle Paul, having more authority than, for instance, a pastor would today, he was referred to as a wise master builder. He had establishment authority. So he's establishing some precedent for Christian living, for church conduct, and he's going to start correcting them and saying, in this area of your church life, you're wrong. Now, many today would cry to Paul and say, legalist, you're saying there's rules for Christians. Well, of course there is. If you love the Lord, you're going to have to show that you love Him by obedience. <laughs> Amen? If you love me, keep my commandments. And so that's what many today would say. Well, this is a tertiary doctrine. He's only dealing with how we deal with brethren. What he's dealing with is conformity to the world. So you've conformed to the world in this and not to the word of our Savior. He says in verse 2, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Do you not know what God has given you as a saint? We've been saying around here recently, we live below our privileges. 
Do you not understand? By the way, would you call the Corinthians saints? Paul did. What made them saints? Their position in Jesus Christ. They were positioned in Jesus Christ by faith in Him, and they are getting confused about who they need to follow and who they need to conform to. Verse 2, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world, and if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He said, You've sold yourself short. Could you not resolve this among yourselves? Verse 3, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life, if ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, Set them to judge who are at least esteemed in the church. And Paul's being rhetorical there as far as I can tell. Verse 5, he said, I speak to your shame. Why did he say, if you're willing to take this action, then probably what you need to do is get those that you esteem the least in the church and they'd be most fitted to judge. Do you know who are the least esteemed in a church that loves conforming to the world? Somebody help me, it's been saved for a while. Who's the least esteemed member of a church in a church that is conforming to a world? There it is. The spiritual saint is the least esteemed in a church filled with Corinthian-minded people. They're the most despised. And Paul is saying, well, seeing that you think that the world has got more wisdom than the people of God, then you probably ought to pick the person that you esteem the least in the church and they'd be most fitted to judge this situation. And he said, I speak to your shame. By the way, how often do we use that word today? Shame. It's a no-no. You don't make anybody feel ashamed. That's why we have gay pride. May I say this? No, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. When humans live like animals, they ought to be ashamed. They do not need to be affirmed. You say, doesn't God love them? Of course he loves them. That's why Christ died for them. But he did not die so they could live in their shame and call it glory. He died so they could see that their shameful ways are shameful, repent and be saved not be affirmed in a way that's going to take them to hell. You know what you and I do when we affirm somebody that's on their way to hell? Oh, yeah, God loves everybody. We met a man this last week. Who was Jim? Who did I door knock with Sundays? Jeff. His dad was a Pentecostal preacher. And he said, I got... He did not want anything to do with us. This man's probably 80 years old. Nothing to do with us. He said, I got good news for you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I got good news. Everybody's saved. Jesus died for everybody. Everybody's saved. And then he quickly closed the door. That's not true. Everybody's not saved. My point is this this morning. Paul says to the Corinthians, let me ask you something. Was Paul right or wrong for telling the Corinthians that he was speaking to their shame? Can I, with the authority of God's word, say this morning that if there's any facet of your life this morning that is being lived in conformity to the world and the culture rather than conformity to the word of God, Shame. That's shameful. No Christian should put a higher priority on what the world thinks than what the Savior says. And Paul says, you've done this. You've conformed to the world. And may I say this? I've heard this preached all my life. Churches are not to conform to the world. And I'm watching in my day even so-called Baptist churches softening their stance on the most horrendous of sins in the name of grace. And friend, that is not in the Bible. Grace does not empower sin. Grace empowers righteousness. Amen? And so this morning, if you have a version of grace that enables sin without without shame, that is not God's grace. That's some other form. 
And so this morning, there was disturbing trouble, and that was the conflict in this church, the course of action they chose, revealed conformity to the world. Then correction is ministered. Paul speaks plainly. In verse 6, he says, But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law with one another. Why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. You know what he's saying? In order to defend your rights, you're doing wrong. It almost sounds like he's right in 21st century America. Almost like the author could foresee the future and had things written down that would have eternal implications. My tongue is in my cheek. I hope you can tell. Of course he did. He said, why don't you just take the wrong? Your brother, your brother borrowed your vehicle and he returned it without gasoline in it. And now you say, but that was the $150, because that's what a gas tank, tank of gas costs. Now, that's the $150 I was going to buy groceries with. My family's going to starve because of my, my brother, who's, and he's done this three times now. I send him a vehicle full. He brings it back empty. He's robbing me blind. How about give him the gift? How about suffer the wrong? You know what Paul's not saying? He's not saying you weren't done wrong. He said, why not just take it instead of taking your troubles before a lost world? You know where many of these courts are at today? Online. Social media. Let's, let's take all our disagreements right out. I read, a, I read a post the other day on social media, and it was a brother talking about a brother in the church accusing him of criminal activity. And he decided the best thing to do was to post it on social media so the world could know that the church had internal troubles. And I thought, go to the civil authorities if this is true. But he felt it needful to let the whole world know that's exactly what he's talking about here. That's what the world does for church. And the general principle is we do not conform to the world's ways. We conform to the word of God. We do what he says. There was disturbing trouble. Number two, there was a definitive truth that Paul puts forward. He said, look, you're going before the unjust. You're going before unbelievers. You're following their pattern. You're relying on their wisdom. He's going to remind you, he said, verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous, these people that you are trusting to make judgments about eternal things, know ye not that they are the unrighteous inherit not the kingdom of God? Do you, do you not realize these people are not part of God's kingdom? By the way, study the book of Corinthians and notice how many times Paul says, No, you not. No, you not. Reckon why he did that. Why do you think the Holy Spirit had Paul tell the Corinthians over and over, Don't you know this? And don't you know this? <clears throat> how many have ever met um, a 15-year-old who knows how the world should be run? No offense to any 15-year-olds. It's not Dawson. <coughs> Have you ever met somebody like that? When we first moved here, I had a young man who wanted to be part of our church ministry, and he was constantly helping me understand what I needed to be as a pastor. Bless his heart. And we finally had some meetings and came to some understandings. And anyway, <laughs> it was not good. One of the things that had to be constantly said to him is, don't you know this? You know everything else. How could you not know this? You say, that sounds arrogant. No, 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 no. Paul's reminding them this is a church that boasted in what they knew. We know that you read it in 1 Corinthians 8. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. So here he says it. Know ye not that the unrighteous, do you not understand the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
then unless there's some confusion, that's why we call this point a definitive truth, he's going to give some definition of what he means by unrighteous. Okay? This is the unrighteous. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Don't be deceived and think that those who are unbelievers are righteous. Don't be deceived. He says this, neither fornicators. So those folks that live as though they're married when they're not, fornicators do not inherit the kingdom of God. May I say this? When God saves you, he does not save you to give you permission to fornicate. He saves you to liberate you from it. It's bondage. Amen? He says, No, you're not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. Let me remind you this verse this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable. Marriage is honorable in all, in the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. That truth is still in place in 2021. It's still a fact. <coughs> it's still truth. And so then, neither fornicators nor idolaters. By the way, the Bible says covetousness, which is idolatry. Loving the things of this world, setting our heart on them, uh, longing for what belongs to somebody else. That's covetous. It's idolatry. Nor adulterers. So when you're unfaithful to marriage by by taking the privileges of that when you're not married, when you're unfaithful in marriage by taking those privileges to, with someone that uh, someone else is married to, adultery is still sin. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate. This brings us to what brought this text to our minds this morning. Do you realize this this sin is not the same as the next one we're about to talk about? Effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind. I need not go into detail. Men working with men, that which is unseemly, is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. Women leaving their natural use, burning their lust one toward another. Romans chapter 1, it's lesbianism and sodomy. But before, listen here this morning, before we get to men uh, abusing themselves with mankind, man with man, first you have what? Help me with the word. Effeminate. I'm going to tell you this morning, men acting like women is still sin. So, Pastor, you don't need to say that. I'm going to get in trouble. Women acting like men is still sin. It's the Word of God. And one of the reasons we're having the trouble we are today with a gay pride month is the churches of God have refused to agree with God on these issues. They're tertiary, secondary issues. So is going to court with your brother, but it was sin. We've conformed to the world, not to the Word of God. Let me ask you something. I told you I'm going to get in trouble. If I walked up here this morning and I came before you in a suit with a skirt, is that okay? Somebody tell me why not. It's effeminate. Now we have a culture today that's teaching young men to be soft. You know what the word effeminate means? Soft. You know what? You know what leads up to abusers of themselves and mankind? The softening of manhood. And men, you know who's responsible for you and I not being effeminate? It's not your wife. That's us. And you know what God says? That effeminacy is a mark of being unregenerate. Now, how many of us know this is a problem in our culture? Friend, it is. How did we get here? The first, I'm not talking about how the world get here. We know how the world got here. They rejected Christ. How have churches got here? I told, I'm just, I'm in so deep, I'm in big trouble this morning. 
I watch men today who claim to be preachers wearing clothing that's form-fitting. Form-fitting, like something an immodest woman would wear, but he says he's a man. And we're glorying in it on platforms of so-called churches. How? We have dealt with the issues of verses 1 through 8 as though they're secondary. We've conformed to them. It's truth. Paul says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Not fornicators, not idolaters, not adulterers, not effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Again, that's sin of sodomy. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. I saw a picture this last week of a so-called church, and I kid you not, when you walk in, it is a bar. And the first thing to do is give you a free beer when you show up at church. You could not pay me enough money in this world to step my foot inside the door of such a wicked establishment. You know what's worse than a bar that says it's a bar? A bar that says it's a church. Are you with me this morning? And if I can do nothing else this morning, say, hey, set your feet and say, we stand with God already. God said those things are unrighteous. To be a drunkard is unrighteous. God saves you from that. I'm, I'm deeply discern, concerned, deeply concerned with men who claim to love God and claim to love God's Word and are encouraging God's people to drink alcohol. What is this about? There's no way. You say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Not alcoholic wine, not on your life. Not on your life. You say, Pastor, the Bible says wine. And I'm hitting all kinds of issues. I told you I'm in trouble. I'm not because I'm telling you what the Bible says. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, except when Jesus was deceived and gave that to somebody else. Not on your life. There's no way. Find me in my Bible, in your Bible, anywhere where Jesus or anybody else would use what we would call grape juice. Those who love alcoholic wine think that every time they hear the word, that's what he's talking about. But that's not the truth. The Bible says... Look not on the wine when it giveth this color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. The last it biteth like an adder, it'll sting you, it'll bite you, it'll ruin you. The fact of this matter is this morning, you know why God the Holy Spirit put a list like this in the middle of a, of a, of a chapter to the Corinthians? So you and I can be reminded unrighteousness is still unrighteousness. And the unrighteous inherit not the kingdom of God. Somebody says, well, I'm unrighteous and I'm characterized by all those things. I mean, I'm righteous and I do all those things. You better be careful. The Bible says if you're righteous and you're doing that, you're under chastisement. Your heavenly Father's not going to allow that. The fact of the matter is, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. It has to do with how we handle money and extorting money out of people. You understand that crime shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know what Paul's saying? You're taking matters of internal judgment to fornicators and idolaters. By the way, is that not what characterizes the world? These lifestyles? Isn't that what characterizes the world? You see, when you get saved, that's not what you are anymore. You're a child of God now. And that's what he's going to say. There's some definitive truth that sin is condemned. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. When God saved you, he delivered you from those things. 
He delivered you out of those things and He is working in your life to purify and cleanse and conform you to Christ. And so if you're, you're living that lifestyle, friend, there's something desperately wrong. But the point of this is, you, you saints at Corinth, you're entrusting these judgments to those people and they're not inheriting the kingdom of God. You see the definitive line that God draws? Uh, look at the, if you're in Ephesians chapter 5. This is a problem all the way back then. Ephesians chapter 5. The Lord has to warn us not to be a partaker with their evil deeds because there is a temptation after the Lord has saved us out of the world to still get along with the world, to still be, say, love them, preach to them, but we're not to conform to them. Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 2, but walk in love, walk in love. He starts this, let me back up verse 1. This goes along with 1 Peter 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. You're children of God, follow God, conform to Him. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness... Now notice carefully what it says. Let it not be once named among you as become the saints. Don't glory in it. Don't gloss it over. God has saved you from that. Don't let it be named among you. Don't let this take place. Don't let it happen. Don't don't tolerate it, right? That's what he's dealing with. Don't tolerate it. Verse has become a saint. It's not becoming of a saint to live like a sinner. You get that? Verse, verse 4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, which is an idolater, hath any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore, what? Partakers with them. This text is teaching, teaching something called separation. Don't live like them. Now, I've got a question. Why does he have to command us not to be deceived and not be a partaker with them? Because you can. And God says, don't. I'm telling you, don't. You know why Paul had to say this to the Corinthians about the distinction between the world and God's people? Because they were already conforming in lesser issues. Let me ask you something. If you and I are going to deal with human conflict the way the world does, why won't we deal with other human relationships the way the world does? You see what's going on in Corinth? They're conforming to their culture. And Paul says, I want to remind you, when God saved you, he made a distinction. You're no longer them and they're no longer you. You know what makes the church distinct? We're in Christ Jesus. We've been bought with His blood. We've been liberated from sin. We're not living the way the rest of the world is. We're living for the day we meet our Savior. And so then He's reminding them the definitive truth is sin is condemning and you've been saved from that. Therefore, don't forget, they're not inheriting the kingdom of God and you need not, as we read in Ephesians 5, be partakers with them. Now I say this. I don't know of any doctrine, any doctrine more under attack in, in Bible-believing churches today than the doctrine of separation. It's become a no-no word among the who's who. But it's still a Bible word. We're not to conform to them. How, why do you think God says, let no man deceive you? Because men will try to deceive us and say, no, it's unloving if you don't affirm them, conform to them. No, no, no. Paul says, no, you're out of order, Corinthian church. You, you've forgotten that the unrighteous don't inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor uh, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. But then he finishes with this. There had been a distinguishing transformation in their lives. 
Notice he says verse 11. How many of us understand tenses from grammar? Were and are, past and present. He says, and such, and I've circled my Bible, were some of you. You realize there were members of the Corinthian church that had been drunkards and idolaters and adulterers and fornicators and effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind. That's how we know God can save these people. Is, is that one sin the one that God can't save people from? Someone like to refer to Romans 1 and say, oh, no, he's turned them over to reprobate mind. Yes, he does turn folks over to reprobate mind. That's often the evidence of it. But 1 Corinthians 6 says he can save people like that. You got a guy in, in, in Arizona named Stephen Anderson saying that God can't save people like that. He's not telling the truth because that's not what the Bible says. He can. God says, and such were some of you. This is the lifestyle you did live. This is what you were. You were all these things. He said, but ye are. What's he say? Washed. Ye are washed. Meaning, your sin debt that was against God has been washed. Washed with what? Revelation chapter 1. I'm glad you asked that question. Revelation chapter 1. Washed with what? The Bible says, there's two things in the Bible that says wash us. Number one, the blood of Jesus Christ. That washes us in the sight of God. And the water of the word washes us in the sight of men. Revelation chapter 1. I'll show that to you in a moment. Revelation chapter 1 says in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You know what makes me and you clean in the sight of God? Faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. My faith in Jesus' blood makes me righteous in the sight of God. That's why the Bible says in Romans 4, he justifies the ungodly. I'm justified by faith. But what, what, what washes my life? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, Psalm 119, verse 9, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. How many of us understand the Corinthian church had some spots on it? You know what Paul's given them? The word to wash them off. I want these spots washed. We're washed, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We're washed by the water of the word. Titus 3, 5 says we're washed at regeneration. When we get saved, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. When you and I got saved, our old man got buried, washed under the flood of God's judgment, raised to walk in newness of life. The blood of Christ cleansed our past, cleansed our record in the sight of God. I'm just. You know what Paul's reminding the Corinthians? That's what you were, but not anymore because that got washed when you got saved. Once you got saved, you're not a fornicator anymore. You're a saint. One of the things I was telling one of my kids the other day, I'm, I don't want to keep saying, well, we're all sinners. If you're saved, you're a saint. Therefore, saints should live like saints. Amen? And so this morning, you're washed, ye are sanctified. You know what sanctified means? Set apart. Set apart for who? God. When God saved me, He set me apart. Instead of living for me, instead of living for the world, now that He saved me, the Bible says I've been bought with the price. I'm to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are God's. Sanctified means through salvation, God sets you apart for Him. We're to live for Christ. You know what the New Testament church is to do? We are, we are like a bride, a spouse to a husband. We're not to give our heart to anyone else but Jesus Christ. We are sanctified. So the first one deals with our cleansing. We're washed. Sanctified deals with our consecration. We're set apart to serve God. And then thirdly, we're justified. That has to do with our clearing. My record has been cleared. Justified literally means 
to be treated as if you've never committed the crime. Through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, I've been washed, cleansed, my conscience cleansed of the guilt of sin, cleansed in the sight of God, so that the result is I am justified. You know what Paul's telling the Corinthians? You were these things, but you're not now. You're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Who accomplished this washing, sanctification, and cleansing on their behalf? Justification. Jesus Christ. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I love those verses because you know whose name saves us? The name of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I believe your death for me was punishment for me, and I believe you're living, and I'm asking for you to save me from who I am. I am worthy of condemnation. May I say this morning, if you've never approached that, that truth that you deserve the judgment of God, Go back to the Bible again. Before, before we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are condemned already, unfit for God. And only through the washing and the, and, the, and the sanctification and the justification that's found through Jesus Christ. So he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, meaning Jesus is the one that authorizes this thing. And by the Spirit of our God, he's the one who activates it. Who regenerates the believer according to Titus 3? Upon my faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus directs the Holy Spirit to regenerate me. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Here's what we find. New birth is an actual event that takes place that literally transforms the very person you are. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know what Paul is saying? You Corinthians are forgetting who you are and you are conforming to them instead of him. Don't you forget, they're not inheriting the kingdom of God, but you're washed and you're sanctified and you're justified. So do what he wants. Amen? This morning, if you're washed and you're sanctified and you're justified, let me put it to you this way. Let me put it this way. Let's say I robbed a bank. And I robbed a lot of money from that bank. And... uh and I get convicted of the crime, and I get put to prison. I'm going to spend 20 years in prison for robbing that bank. And they recover the money, but the bank doesn't recover its poor reputation because it allowed me to rob its bank and wasn't secure, and so shareholders are backing off from them. And in the process of time, I'm in prison, and a governor decides to give me another chance, and he says, I'm willing to pardon you for your crime. We're going to wash it from the records. It'll be as if you never did it before. You'll be justified. And the bank steps up and says, we're asking you not do that, please. <laughs> We've been offended against, and if you let him out, who's to say he won't come do it again? And the judge says, you know what? I believe if I give him another chance, that new chance will be what he needs to make new. So we're going to give him grace to give him a new life. And I accept the pardon, and the bank is just upset. Can you help me? If every time I see that banker and he says, what are you doing around here? And I say, don't you treat me like that? The judge cleared me, don't you know? What would you think? If I was the banker, I'd say, double the guard. If that guy is offended at being treated like a criminal, and he was one, he's got a problem. Now, if I've truly understood the grace that was given me and given me my pardon, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go meet that banker and say, now, I understand why you would have concerns with me. 
and I'll do anything and everything in my power to re-earn your trust and show you that I appreciate what I was given and that I'm not the man I was. When I find people who say they got saved out of a life of sin and all they do is constantly defend that and get up on their high horse, I go, ah, ah, ah. Or when they continue to live in such a way that shows they're still conducive to it and they're still friendly toward it. Friend, you know what John the Baptist said after he called people to come be baptized? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. You know what Paul preached when he preached the gospel? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. Meaning, if you really are what you say you are and Christ transformed you, conform to him. Conform to him. You know what Paul's reminding the church of this morning? And here's what I want to remind us this morning. We're living in a culture that's putting the pressure on us and saying, you're haters. You're haters. You don't love. And so you do what we do. I'm just reminding us this morning, in a month when the world takes pride in what it ought to take shame in, may we stand with our Savior and say, no, 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 no. We don't conform to the world. We conform to the Savior. We don't conform to our own way. We conform to the Savior. Maybe you're this morning and you're a child of God. May I say, if there's a burden I bear for Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church moving forward, praise God, there's a firm doctrinal foundation in this church an understanding of Christ and what he's done for us. But the struggle of the Christian is, as we go out in that world, to not conform to them, but conform to him. And this morning, maybe the Spirit of God has said, you know what, here's an area of your life. And maybe even, I'll say if it's the Spirit of God, he's brought scripture to your mind. Maybe one I've not read or quoted. Here's an area you know my explicit instruction. But you have defaulted to what the culture says and what the culture does, not what I've said. I mean, it's going to understand. It's not the size of the issue, meaning going to law with brother. It's am I conforming to him or am I conforming to them? This morning, if you're a saint, you say, I know God saved me. I'm so grateful for what Christ did for me then you know what? We're, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Let's live up to our position. Let's live according to what we are, not according to what they are. And it is, that, it is in that moment that we are the light and the salt we're called to be. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Mm-hmm.